Welcome to the Write It Down podcast of the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, to inspire, and to encourage. Today, we welcome on the mic, Willie Galtz. Willie is an Olympic track and field athlete, world championship gold medalist, NFL wide receiver, and Super Bowl champion. Willie was drafted by the Chicago Bears in the first round of the 1983 NFL Draft. He was a part of the 1985 Bears Super Bowl Shuffle, which was later nominated for a Grammy. As a decorated athlete and notable champion, Willie Galt shares with us the importance of liking who you see in the mirror. You know what to do. Sit back, relax, and get your pens ready, because this is Write It Down. All right. Welcome back to the Write It Down podcast. Today, we welcome NFL wide receiver, gold medalist, and Super Bowl champion, Willie Galt. Willie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure already. Um, So take me back to 1980. Um, U.S. track team and field qualified for the Summer Olympics, but unfortunately, you weren't able to attend due to the political realm. So as a 19-year-old college student, what are you thinking? Well, I mean, as a young man, you think, oh, well, that's okay. Well, I'll just go the next one and then the next one. I'll go the next two or three. So, you know, that's one of the things with the youth. You don't understand what life is all about. You just think, oh, it's okay. But also, I felt that the Russians being in Afghanistan had nothing to do with us running track or that the politics should not have been in track and field and that we should have actually gone to Russia, beat them at their own game in their own stadium, and then I think it would have sent a better message. But the fact is that we actually had an alternative Olympics. It was two Olympics that year. It was the one in Russia that I think 17 countries or 16 countries were involved. And then there was one that we had ourselves uh, that was like 32 countries involved. So it was really actually more people in that Olympics. Uh, so it, it was like a bit of sweet moment, uh, the standpoint you make the Olympic team, which is a childhood dream, but yet, you know, you weren't on the biggest stage. It was on, you know, a big stage, but it wasn't the biggest stage, which is every country being represented there. So at this point in your life, do you, do you have a huge sense of pride or are you, have you always been like a humble man? Well, I think, um, you know, my, my upbringing was very um, humble beginnings. Um, I had a sister and my mother and father, and we lived in the countryside, and I, I had a great childhood. My mom and dad were amazing people, still are. My, my sister was great. She actually pushed me to, to be the person I am today. And I had great friends and great teachers and leadership and family uh, that I was supported by. So I grew up very humble. And I think I, my dad had a strong hand. My mom did too. They taught me right from wrong and disciplined me when I needed it and showed me tremendous love and how to do things and how to cook and how to clean and, and all the, the necessities of life. Uh, so it, it turned out to be really, really good for me. What were some of the defining moments with your parents that you can look back on, like fond memories that, that you hold on to in your adult life? Well, I think the the time I spent with my mom in the kitchen, her teaching me how to cook was amazing. The time that the Christmas that I got this go-kart that I wanted so badly, that was uh, that was amazing. Uh, the time my sister and I running in the woods together and, and enjoying uh, that. And and just the, the whole family thing, Christmases were amazing and birthdays and New Year's and, um, and just playing in the country, being a kid and not worrying about anything, not having life to worry about. Uh, those are the things that I really remember about my childhood and bringing up with my family. And of course, had great coaches and teachers on the way and, uh, you know, had a, a really good childhood. And you, and you grew up in Griffin, Georgia. What What is Griffin, Georgia like? If you could describe what that city is like. Griffin, Georgia is a, a small town uh, with big ideas and great people overall. I mean, growing up, I... I grew up in, you know, in a, a somewhat segregated era, but then it was desegregated, and I wound up uh, mixing in with black and white, and it was great. I, I never had any problems racially. Uh, I smiled a lot and laughed a lot with people, black, white, it didn't matter. I had friends on both sides that were black and white, so it was a good little community. It had its problems, of course, uh, that I didn't understand because I was too small at the time, but... You know, it had its problems, but I had nothing but great memories and, and great experiences there. 
So you say you smiled a lot and laughed a lot. Were, were there certain people in your life that, that brought you a lot of joy? I mean, outside of your family, were there some, you mentioned maybe some coaches or some influences, maybe some teachers that just brought joy to Willie's life? Well, of course, it starts with my family. My mother was someone who never met a stranger. She laughed and smiled all the time, and I think that's what I got. So my dad was somewhat humble and and shy, and my sister was somewhat shy, too, but laughed. Uh, but I had a great coach, a guy by the name of Johnny Goodrum, who was an amazing principal. He was my vice principal and coach. He taught me a lot about life, and I had great teachers and gym teachers, Miss Kennebrew and I mean, just a lot of my friends, Jeffrey Hector and, and uh, Ricky Williams, and just all kids that were really different, and which made me realize how different I was. But also, it made me realize that I was different, but I wanted to be myself. I wanted to be who I wanted to be, not who they wanted me to be. So it sounds to me like you, you're really, really good at connecting with other people. Do you think that people nowadays are having a, a harder time finding that genuine connection and joy? Um, with with company, well, I, I think sometimes because people just are not accepting people for who they are. Um, everybody's not going to be the same, and everyone may not be up to my standard, or I may not be up to their standard. But I have to accept them for who they are, and I, I have to like them for who they are. If I don't like them, don't be around them. But I like everybody, so because. The old adage is if you walk in a man's shoes and you can understand him, but that's not true because walking in shoes is just walking in shoes. You have to walk in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. So until you can walk in someone's mind, which you can't do, then you can't really judge them as far as how they feel or what they do. You just have to respect what they feel, and if, if you don't agree with it, then you don't agree with it. But I don't take everything so serious, and I don't take everything not serious. I take everything, you know, at a grain of salt. And I, I understand, I, I think about things before I make rash decisions. I think that's what we have to do. We can't make rash, irrational decisions in a quick way. I, I like what you said there. It's not just about walking in somebody's shoes. It's putting yourself in, in, in their mindset. And I think we're living in a culture where your mindset can be shaped by so many different outside you know, sources. Um, what are some of the things that you do each day that get your mind right for, for Willie Galt for the day that you have set before you? I work out, which is great. And I am thankful for what I have and not what I don't have. And I see the glasses being half full, not half empty. And I think that's the way life is. And, you know, we all have a journey and sometimes we don't understand that journey. Sometimes we do, but most time we don't. And, you know, we only know when the journey's over. Uh, I know what happened last week because last week is gone. But I don't know what's going to happen next week because next week's not here yet. Right. So I just have to take it each day like it's my last and live it and let the people who I love know I love them. Let the people I know who, who I care about that I care about them. I think it's important. I think we don't take time sometimes because we're in such a busy world of fast-moving paces. We don't take the time to call someone and say hello and... You know, we live in a digital world where people just text someone, hello, and hear the voice and say, I love you, I miss you, and I hope you're good, I'm thinking about you. I think those things are more important than a text with a a wavy hand because you actually hear that person's voice because you never know when that's the last time you're going to talk to that person. I think, um, and especially in this day and time, and we're we're confronted with this coronavirus and viruses and, and different things that are happening around the world. We just never know. Will it be the last time you talk to someone? I think it's important that, you know, the people that you love, you let them know that you love them. There's no question that people I love, they know I love them. Mm-hmm. I tell them all the time. There's no question whatsoever. People I care about, I tell them that. They know that. So you don't want to have anyone have any questions about anything. And that's what I think. Yeah. And, and, you, and you bring up a good point, too, with what's going on. Um, you know, today with the coronavirus and, and how we can't be around a lot of people. And now all we're really left to is our phones and social media and the news. Um, but it's about picking up that, that phone call and letting people know how you feel about them and, and letting go of grudges that aren't necessary. Um, cause that just ends up stealing your joy. Um, when that happens, you mentioned Absolutely. that you work out every day to get your to get your mind right. Uh, we will get to how athletically inclined that you are. You are a very decorated athlete, and um, I 
I'm just wowed by that. But between track and football, when you were a kid, what what was more of your passion? Um, you know, I, I don't. I, I've, I've never separated the two. I've always, I mean, I've always done it both. And I played basketball, and I started to play golf, of course, and. and after I finished pros, but mm. I've always been very athletic and kind. I want to do everything. I want to run. I, I run all the time. And people used to go, I mean, it's like Forrest Gump, just run, really run. So <laughs> I, run, I run a lot. I, I used to run in woods. I run down the street. I run, you know, just wherever because I love running. I, I love just the feel of being fast and, and the feel of the wind in my face. And so I, I sort of, uh, they sort of complement each other so well. So I can feel confident in football because it gives you the speed and the respect. Football comes from this track because it makes you tough and you run harder and you, you're tough. So they're, they're both one and a kind. I think it's like the yin and the yang. It takes both to, to make that symbol. I think for me, football and track are, are one and the same to me. So when you were at the University of Tennessee, what was some of the defining moments of your athletic career there? Things that you're like, man, I am, I'm actually kind of arriving at, at these two sports. Well, the, the foot, my first year, I made the Olympic team, which was, you know, as a freshman, that's almost really hard to do and almost impossible as a freshman and a sprinter. And then my first year in football, I started, and my first pass was a touchdown. The first pass I caught in, in college was a touchdown. So that sort of got me off to a good start. And from that on, I I excelled and did well and built relationships and you know, built friendships that last forever, that last now. And it was just an amazing experience for me. University of Tennessee was perfect for me. It was 33 miles, three, I'm sorry, three hours away from my home. So I could drive home, but yet I could get away. My parents would come and see me play football and you know, my friends. So it was a great, um, great adventure for me. It was really great in my growth as a, as a person, a human being. So the way the world is now and the way that colleges and education and athletics are now, what, what would be one thing or one piece of advice that you'd give to college athletes, collegiate athletes um, today? And just enjoy the moment. I mean, it happens so fast. Mm. I mean, four years is nothing. It comes and goes so fast that it almost will pass you by if you don't really enjoy the moment. Relish in the moment um, in every situation, whether it be playing football or running track or the classes, the students. You know, classes are hard sometimes. You don't want to go to class, but, you know, it's part of your growth. It's part of you being a human being, and you'll be able to learn some of those, uh, use some of those skills in life. You won't be able to use all of them, but you'll be able to use most of those skills you learn in college and life, and I think that's what it's all about. And meeting people, uh, building those relationships, building those bonds, that you can have a lasting 20, 30 year relationship with someone uh, from college, whether it be business wise or friendship and family. And, and I'm, I'm catching the drift here that you're definitely a people person that you, you prize people before yourself, putting others first. Um, and, and you really are, have focused in every season of life, building lasting relationships with people. What is your relationship or what was your relationship like in the NFL with some of your coaches with, you know, the boys and Mike Ditka? What was that like? Uh, just fantastic. I, I had such an amazing time in, in the NFL. Uh, my first year with the Bears, uh, of course, I got an opportunity to play with some legends uh, like Walter Payton, uh, you know, Mike Singletary, uh, Jim McMahon, Walter Payton, and just uh, Coach Ditka. I was on a great team, uh, and it was voted the uh, best team in the last hundred years. So that's something that you know is is awesome to be able to be a part of. Plus, in a city like Chicago, Chicago was an amazing city because Chicago is known as the second city. But when we won the Super Bowl in eighty five, eighty six, eighty five season, eighty six uh, year, we brought Chicago and made it the second city no more. And they they loved us, and the Mayor Washington, all the great people there, and. Me going to Chicago was just an amazing place. It's probably the best city in America. It just gets too cold. Mm-hmm. But I, I built lasting relationships that I still have now and friends and and uh, family members. I called my family in Chicago, my teammates. Uh, I loved playing with them. We didn't always agree, but it was okay because, you know, I had a plan and they had a plan. Sometimes my plan didn't match with theirs, but it was okay because I understood what my plan was. 
And but that's like having a brother or sister. Sometimes you're not gonna always get along with your brother and sister, but you love them. Right. But yet sometimes you get into an argument or fight or whatever. But you know, at the end of the day, that's your brother, that's your sister, that's your family. Mm-hmm. And I felt they're my family, and I keep those guys now. And I still see Jim McMahon sometimes. I saw I was with Otis Wilson a couple of weeks ago. I see uh, Dennis McKinnon. I see Richard Dent. I see you know I, I miss Walter Payton tremendously. And I saw all the guys two years ago at a at a reunion this past year for the hundred year uh, celebration, which was amazing. So uh, I I built friendships for life in Chicago that I still have there, and I still will have until I die. Did you go through any like uncomfortable growing pains leaving, you know, Tennessee and going to Chicago? Was there that moment of just like, uh, like you're kind of on your own? Did you have that feeling or that weight or was it just all kind of a rush for you? Never. It was always a rush for me because I was always willing to accept change. Look, I, I just, I don't, I didn't think, and I don't think that I'm the big kahuna. I know there's something greater than me. So right. everything that happens for a reason, I know that, you know, wherever my life leads me, it leads me to my destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and life is almost predetermined, basically, what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. It's just a you amount of doing it and following your steps. I came from the world championships and I signed with the Bears and you know, from Helsinki from running a world record. And then I was on the, the football field catching touchdowns. Yeah. And so it was something that was quick. And, but yeah, it was part of what I'd done because I went from high school to, 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 to the college and I made the Olympic team and then I went to football. So it was all just a natural uh, pro- progression of my life. And so I accepted it. I relished in it. I didn't take it for granted. And I appreciate it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't like not um, appreciate it. What a fresh um, perspective to have, because not many people have that mentality. But something I want to echo, especially for the audience, is when you have when you believe in something greater than yourself, there's this overwhelming peace that takes place of I'm not in control of this outcome or whatever's happening in my ultimately in my life. And, um, I definitely want to, to echo that. Is there, um, a time in your life where you feel like you, again, maybe you didn't know what the plan was. Um, but you got a little punch to the gut. What has been your greatest gut punch? Well, before I say that, I say this, the more I think I know, the more I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> this world is so big and so vast. Yeah. There's people I will never meet in my lifetime. If I live to be a thousand years, I'll never meet them. There's billions of people on this earth. There's places that I will never go that I, that I won't be able to see. Uh, there's things that I will never experience in, in this world, and it's unfortunate. But that's just the way it is because the world is so vast. I'm like a grain of sand in this world, that's how small I am, basically. And I think once you realize that and understand that, then you understand that you're not that significant. You're not that important. And um, I think the biggest gut wrench for me was my sister passing away. I mean, mm-hmm. when my, my sister passed away at age 41, 22, I think she was. Uh, it really hit me hard because we were so close. And it made me realize that life is so precious. Yeah. And I shouldn't waste it by being angry. I shouldn't waste it by being upset about things. I have to live my life. And then consequently, three years ago, my mom passed away. And it made me even realize even more, which I did already knew. But it just, you know, it, it makes you appreciate life so so greatly. And I don't have time to be upset about things. I don't have time to be, you know, uh, crazy about things. I just go, okay, fine. Let's move on. Let's do something different. Let's do something else. Okay. That's your deal. It's not mine. I, I refuse to be upset about things. I, I I want to see the good in people. The glass is half full. If it's if it's not, then I just I move on and you know try to hit if I can. But for the most part, I won't let anyone bring me down. Mm. And I think that's what um, we have to realize as people is that we make a choice. We have a choice. Uh, no one makes a choice for us. But unfortunately, we're letting other people allowing other people to make choices for us. We allow people to make a choice how we feel because if they're angry at us, then we become angry at them. So we allow them to uh, allow, uh, to make a choice for us mm-hmm. as opposed to us being in charge. And I always want to be in charge of my life. I want to be in charge of decisions I make. I want to make them consciously and make them with uh, conviction. Also make them based on how it's going to hurt mm-hmm. me, how it's going to hurt the next person, how it's going to hurt my family, how it's going to hurt this earth. 
I think if you make decisions based on those, then you always make the right decision. Yeah, and not giving anybody else control over your thought life. And I think that's, exactly. that's what I'm getting out of it is like you want to have control over your thought life, but then when it comes to empathy, you're able to put yourself in their mind, kind of going back to what you Absolutely. said earlier. And the only way that you can Absolutely. really put yourself in somebody's mind, let alone their shoes, is if you have already your own like healthy mental um, like mindset. And, and that Absolutely. comes from taking charge of your life we're going to take a quick break from our show to discuss patreon patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to now so if you enjoy write it down please head over to our website xvxiii.com or spell out 1513.com in your browser click on the patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network, so please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. I want to go back to the, sh- the Super Bowl shuffle with the 85 Bears, the Chicago Bears. Who was the most musically inclined on that team? What did that, what did that whole process look like? Well, I would say Walter Payton was probably the most musically inclined. Cause he could, like, he could sing. He had different voices. But that was a unique uh, project. I, and how I got started was um, I had an agent in, in Hollywood, but William Morris' agent, uh, a guy named Jack Gelardi. Or what, Jack Gelardi was ICM, actually. Jack and I went to Monaco. And in Monaco, Jack represented a guy named Dick Myers, who owned a record label in Chicago called Red Label Records. Well, Dick and I in Monaco became friends. I was there with Chris Albert, and it was really cool, and we, we hung out. So Dick said, look, I have this video that I want you to be in when I get back. I said, okay, great. It was with an artist named Linda Clifford. And I played a fireman. It was cool. And so we did the video. We went to dinner that night and went to his house afterward just talking. He said, look, I have this music. And I said, well, why don't we make a video with the Bears? Now, this was in game number two. I mean, it was just the start of the season. And so we came up with this idea. I said, look, let's call the Super Bowl shuffle. And we talked about what players would be involved. And so I had the dubious task of trying to convince these guys to be to do a record called the Super Bowl shuffle. Hmm. Now, think about it. This was the start of the season. So we shot the music. We did the music in game number two or three. In a 16-season game, a season, 16-game season, and we were talking about going to the Super Bowl and winning in game number two or three, which is really somewhere either cocky or confident. So a couple of the guys, of course, there's no way I would do that because it's too cocky. And, you know, but all, for the most part, all the guys, the guys decided to do it, did it. And so we did the record on game number two or three. The record came out in game four or five. We, then we set to do the video in game number 13, which was a Tuesday uh, that we had booked. And it was a Monday night game against Miami in Miami. Well, we lost the game, and everyone said they're not going to come to the video because it may be an old man that should, we shouldn't do it. And I, of course, went through the plane and, and asked every guy, please come because we already paid thousands of dollars for the venue and all the band was going to be there, all the producers. So at the end of the day, Mike Singletary said, okay, we're going to do it. So Mike got the guys together, and we all came. And at that video, we all said, look, we're going to, mold together this is a team thing and we're gonna commit to ourselves to winning this thing and not playing like we did yesterday which was that monday night game and we all did the video and of course the rest is history the video went on to, to win a platinum video award and get nominated for grammy uh, the record we had a gold record we lost to Trent for grammy and it became uh um something that still played to this day and it's lasted for over 30 years and it's been a a great testament to the guys who decided to, to be with it and who that team was. That team was voted the greatest team in the NFL history. And I'm proud to be a part of that. Yeah. Wow. And it was also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it was for a, a charity at, back well, in the day? What we did is we, we, we actually gave part of the money. Part of the proceeds went to feed the, the neediest families in Chicago, which we gave. We wound up giving over a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars to that and feeding people in Chicago, which was great. It was very admirable. We became the, the second largest selling selling video behind Michael Jackson's thriller of all time wow. at the time. 
Wow. Which was, which was crazy. And it became like a, a, a uh, one hit wonder, but just, just continued to, because we only did that one, but it continued to, every year during the Super Bowl, people play it. Wow. Willie, you have to be, I imagine you have to be blown away when you revisit some of these stories that have, have happened in your life. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. You have been involved with the Olympics, with the NFL, with, I mean, the Grammys, charities, so many amazing people. I mean, how how does someone like you remain this humble? Well, I, uh, again, I don't believe, I don't read my own clippings. I don't really believe them because they're just, I'm, I'm just a regular person like everyone else. Yeah. I, I get cut, I breathe. You know, I have things that I care about. I have family I love. I want the best of my family like everybody does. And I think I'm just a regular person. I'm just a willy, and I'm no more, no less. I've, I've had extraordinary talent that God's given me that I was able to run fast, I, able to think clearly, able to be passionate and humble. And But yet, you know, it's all a part of it. But also I appreciate the people who uh, think of me that way. Because without them, I wouldn't be who I am. Right. Because without fans, then you're, you're, not, you're not who you are as a, as a celebrity or whatever you want to call it. If you have no one cheering for you, then how can you say that you're someone? Right. So those people who are cheering for you, if they want your autograph or something like that, it's like, it's an honor, really. That means I touched them in a special way. They wanted to say hello or say some autograph or something like that. I think that's very important. I think it's important for us to learn those lessons. In this day and time, it's so difficult with social media and, and guys who are big and they think they're bigger than they are and, you know, they're just so untouchable. And it's unfortunate because we've lost that sense of touchability of people because there's so much going on and people are afraid about being heard and people are afraid about, you know, their, their reputation and, and this and that. And so it's, um, it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, but it is what it is. Yeah, we've yeah. lost the we've lost the art of relating, and we've also lost the ability to be vulnerable, because um, vulnerability, I mean, can lead you to ultimate hurt, and, and people don't want to be hurt, so they they remain guarded. So when well, did you? It's really, it's really risky because yeah. once they in time, you can say something, and it's all over the world within a matter of minutes because of social media, and then it's taken out of context, and that, that is your career, and that is your life. So you have to be really careful in this day and time about those things and, and it'll just know that if you're a humble person and you understand what you're doing, it's it's not shouldn't be a problem. Right. And when your when your identity is wrapped up in the fame, then that's all you're focused on, then I think you'll have more propensity to to get hurt or to tarnish your name because it's all you're consumed with. But when you think outside I, of that I realm, do. you know, it's you're you're less susceptible to that. When? Well, and, and people are forgiving. People are forgiving also. I mean, people are somewhat forgiving. I mean, it's not like, you know, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect by no means. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm a, I, I know I'm a really good person. I'm not perfect by no means. I, try, I strive for perfection. I try to do things the right way. I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Um, and I think if you carry those rules with you, then you can't go wrong. I mean, I want to be treated with dignity and respect. That's all I can ask for. Anything else is just gravy. Right. Uh, so if you can do that with other people, then that's all you can ask for. Right. When, when did you realize, um, I, for lack of better words, when did you realize that there was a God? Like when you knew that there was something outside of you that was in control? Literally, my mom made sure we the church every Sunday. We got baptized. We understood who God was, what God was, uh, understood the responsibility but then also, as I became older, my mom and dad let me make decisions myself about what to go to college and what to do in high school. I mean, those types of things. They taught me right from wrong in the beginning, gave me a great foundation. But then they let me make my own decisions. And I think that was really crucial for me uh, developing as the person that I am because I was responsible for the decisions I made. And I couldn't hold someone else responsible. So when I made a decision, I have to look myself in the mirror and go, okay, was that a good decision or was that a bad decision? Okay, if it's a bad decision, then you have to next time think about decisions before you make them and who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect you or the next person or your family. Is it going to make your family proud? I just want to make my mom happy. Mm. And I want to make my dad happy. I want to make my grandma happy. And I want to make my friends happy, my family happy, my kids happy. And if I do that, then I think I've done uh, pretty good. Yeah. How did this affect the way that you parented? 
having the great role models that you that you did what are what are some things that you try um or you strive to implement in your parenthood well i i sort of give my my kids choices and then let them make their decision and i tell them what a b and c will do and based off my experiences and then i go but it's your choice but i would tell you this is what i would do but this is your choice and these are the choices these are the ramifications and if you make this choice, then you have to live with it. And also, I treat him also like a parent, but also a friend. Uh, because sometimes kids need people to talk to, not to talk down with or talk at. They need someone to talk to them straight and just say, what do you think? Well, I think A, B, and C, and give them choices. And it's been great. I have a great relationship with my daughter. She's my girl, and my son is a amazing relationship with them. Because we talk about things. And now they're older, they still, we talk about things. We come and ask me questions about what I think about things. And I give them choices and, and options. And they come to me as a friend, too. If they got a problem, they come to me. Because I've given them that permission to, not just as a father figure, but as a friend, too. Because at the end of the day, I told them, I go, I don't want anything from you. There's no ulterior motive for me with you. I love you. And so the love is unconditional. And there's no alternative motive like someone else may have an ulterior motive because they may want something for something. Mm-hmm. But with me, it's just true love and uh, understanding and based off life experiences and also common sense. I mean, I just come from things that are common sense standpoint. And I, I, I invoke thought because once you can invoke thought in a person, then they can make intelligent decisions based off something, not just throwing something in the air and hoping it sticks. Right. And, and something that you, that you said, I, I love what you said of, I don't want something from you. Um, you want something for your kids. And I think that's the way that we have to view God in our lives is he doesn't want something from us. He wants things for us. And that's when you know you're loved. That's when you can operate from a place of trust and, and knowing that you're safe um, with, with, a, with the father's love. And that's what you give to your kids. Absolutely. With your kids, what are some of the the fondest memories that you have? Maybe on the sports team, maybe family vacation, things that you look back on and you just can't help but laugh or or smile or be grateful for. Oh my goodness, so so many. Just, of course, seeing both of my kids being born, cutting the cord was amazing. Uh, Playing with my son when he was learning how to walk and and putting up pillows down the hallway and we're doing hurdles over the pillows and driving my daughter to school and teaching my daughter to drive and teaching my son how to drive and my daughter drive when she was like five years old in a parking lot. <laughs> you know, uh, just the, the way she'd come and, and run and jump in my arms and hug me and kiss me and, you know, just all those things that are uh, part of uh, uh, being a dad or being a mom or being a parent uh, and then also seeing them grow up, seeing them grow up to be the people that they are and, and my son's an artist and my daughter's in real estate and understanding what they do and and seeing how they've matured and, you know, just seeing that and understanding and, and looking at pictures and reflecting and vacations in Hawaii and, you know, uh, Mexico and Jamaica and all the places that we went and, you know, just uh, remembering those pictures and the fond memories and the, and, and the beach in, in, in Vegas and L.A. and and uh, carrying my, my daughter with her other two friends on my shoulder and, and neck to the beach and that uh, fun time my son riding his little cart on the beach and it was all those fun times which are great and they just yeah flood, flood your memories what yeah. out of all the things that you've done in this life um, between being a parent um, track and field football what's something that Willie Galt wants to be known for at the end of his life yeah he was a very passionate compassionate person I smile because I can, and it takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. And I wanted to bring, I wanted to make other people smile by my smile. And I think I want to bring happiness to the world in any small way that I can, and and hopefully health and happiness, and and um, to make sure that people are safe. What would you recommend to to people maybe that are? depressed or, or find it really, really hard to smile and to find joy. What are, what are, what are things that you would recommend to them? What, what is maybe some hope that you would offer them? Well, you, first of all, you got to try it. It works. But also, 
again, as I said earlier, the more I think I know, the the more I realize I don't know anything. And the more I think I'm in control of things, the more I realize I'm not in control of anything. We get we can get depressed about little things, but when we get depressed about things, when we we still have those same problems if we don't figure it out. We can't get depressed because we can't do more than we can do. We can only do what we can do, and the rest will take care of itself. So do your best, and everything else is going to take care of itself. You can't be overly depressed about something that you can't control. You can only control what you can control. That's your emotions. That's being on time. That's doing the things that you have to do. That's the way you treat people. That's the way you let people treat you. That's the way you uh, act when people treat you a certain way. So you can control your own destiny by that. And it's better to do it with a smile than a frown. It's, it's so true. I think it, we go back to, to, to control. When we feel outside of control or we don't have control of a situation, that's normally when, when people, I think, start to shut down or have their, 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 their mental breakdowns or their inability to laugh or smile or find joy because they lack control. Would you agree? So let's, let's look at control. Are we talking about us in control of our life or control of someone else's life that someone else is saying something or doing something to us? See, we can't control other people. We can only control ourselves. I think what happens most time when people are stressed about control, it's not about their control. It's about someone else's control. It's about them worrying about what someone else is going to do, whether it be their mortgage or whether it be something else or whether it be a car payment or whether it be a new car or whether it be a new house or whatever. We're concerned about something that someone else mm. is that we can't control. It's not always about what we control, because we can control only what we control. We control how we treat people, what we do, our actions, what we say, where we go, you know, sometimes, somewhere. But we can only control our actions. Most time when people are stressed about control, it's about someone else's control. It's not their control. Mm. And that's what we're what's what we're ultimately confronted with right now with this coronavirus because we don't have control personally over which stores are being shut down, what items are being you know sold out, you know what the media is saying. We have zero control right now. We're not voting on this issue. This is like something that's happening, and now we have to learn how to dance with it a little bit. In this, yeah, but what? But then, what can you control? We can control our actions, how we treat people, what we do. Look, I want as much information as I can. If it's wrong, good information, bad information, whatever, I want to be able to have all the information to be able to decipher it. And then I look at who's giving me the information. Like, I look at doctors in this situation because doctors are the closest thing we have to knowing what's going on. I don't look at the president. I look at doctors. I mean, the president is the president. He's who he is. But I'm not going to listen to him for medical advice because he's not a doctor. Just like he wouldn't listen to me for medical advice because I'm not a doctor. I, I would advise him not to listen to me for medical advice. Now, you can listen to me. No, I'm not a doctor. But you can listen to me for a sports club because I know about it. So, but, so from a business standpoint, I can listen to a president because he knows about business. But from a virus standpoint, I'm going to listen to the doctor. I'm going to listen to every doctor I can to figure it out. And then... Some people say do this, and some doctors say do this. If it doesn't hurt me, I'll do it. Why not? It's not going to hurt me. Like someone said, you breathe in hot air through your nose every day, and the virus can't stand heat. Okay, I can do that. It won't hurt me if I do it. Well, I can do that. So if it doesn't work, I haven't lost anything. So, you know, you just do certain things that make sense. It makes sense to me because you know, the virus can't survive heat. So it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me to wash my hands. It makes sense to me to wear a mask. It makes sense to me to don't go out around a lot of people. So those things we can control, I can control. The other things, you know, oh, I can't control and I can't worry about it. I just got to call myself with all the information and then decipher that information based off who's telling me the information and then what makes sense to me. I mean, I'm, I think I'm a pretty bright person, so I can decipher all the, the craziness right. and go, okay, this makes sense. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you're you're very rational. So to be able to look at this with with um, a rational view, do you think are you um, aggravated with maybe the way that some people are responding to this? That they're not taking it serious? Are there are there certain things that you're like, okay, come on, we could get this, we can get the world back to normal if you guys would just obey quarantine. No, no, 
I'm, I'm not aggravated by them at all because that that's our world. Right. You're always going to have the naysayers. You're always going to have people who don't do the right thing. It's just the way it goes. It, it's the way the earth is. It's the way people are. If everybody did the right thing, we'd be great. But everybody's not going to do the right thing, so why should I worry about those people not doing the right thing? All I can do is affect the people that I can affect. I can affect my kids. I can affect my friends, the people I come in contact with. Like today, I worked out. And I saw just, you know, a handful of people. I just said, be careful, you know, make sure you're uh, the social distance, you know, take care of yourself, you know, be healthy. And the people appreciate that. And they go, you're right. Okay, great. You too. Stay healthy. I want to stay healthy because if my immune system is great from working out, then I have a better chance, even if I do catch it. So I want to make sure that my, I can do everything I can to, you know, lessen my chance to be able to be sick. But if I get it, then I get it. I don't want to get it, of course, but it's not totally in my control. It's somewhat. So I got to do all I can to be able to, to, to make sure that I protect myself and my family and my friends. Right. It goes back to you can only control what you can control um, exactly. in, your, in your life. So you're still, you're, you're still working out, as, as I can tell. Are you, do you still run a lot? Are you still sprinting? What are, what are things that you yeah. still enjoy to do um, athletically? I still work out the same as I did when I was playing professional sports, the track and football. I still work out. I still go to the gym, which I'm not now because the gyms are closed. Right. But before this, I was going to the gym four days a week, running four days a week, sprinting on the track and working out. I still compete in master events. I hold all the master world records from 45 all the way up to 55 and over. Which is incredible. I've broken 13 world records in the span of 35 years, which has never been done. Um, so I just, I, I, again, I love running. I love sports. I love compete, competing. And also, I think I love what it does for my body because I always promised myself when I was younger that I want to have the same quality of life when I'm 60, 70, 80 that I did when I was 20. And the only way to do that is to stay in shape. And so I never want to get out of shape. So I just try to stay in shape. So how would you fare? How do you fare as as a long distance runner? Like your like your sustained mile time. Uh, I know my limitations. <laughs> I'm a I, I'm a Ferrari, not a Cadillac. So okay. I, I'm a speedster. I like to run fast. So I, I'm not very good when it comes to distance. I mean, I can if I have to run it, but I won't do. I don't like it, so I don't do it. Um, I mean, I, I can run four or five, six miles if I have to. If you twisted my arm, I could probably go run a marathon, but I wouldn't do it. I mean, I walk and run, walk and run. But if I had to, I could. I think you uh, could, I, I have no desire. I mean, I, I have no desire. To yeah, it's not on my bucket list. Yeah, I have no desire whatsoever. I mean, I know people who run ten and twenty marathons, and I go, "That is amazing." Yeah. I, 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 I bow to you because I'll never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm polar. I'm polar opposite, Willie, because I. I mean, I'm watching some like just some of your highlights and things, and I'm looking at your records of um, track and how fast you are. And I'm like, I can't even imagine. It takes me forever to get to top speed, and my top speed is horrid. So I mean, I'm the type of person that could go running for for like hours, and just it's a it's a mental game. If you can get your mind in the right, right place to zone out for that long, you're fine. But if you're thinking about it's your like feet cool. and how much you hate it, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. Well, the same the same way you feel that admiration for me, I feel for you because I I, I can't do what you do. So it's the same. So so you see, we're the same. You see, we're all the same. we it are the matter. same. I, I right, maybe I exactly. need you to train me in track, and then you and I can exactly. go run a half marathon and get there mentally. That's right, absolutely. That's thirteen miles minus minus uh, twelve miles for me. So good, it, it's perfect. You can run a mile, and I'll run the other twelve. We'll treat it like a relay. Exactly. You're good at relays. Right. Gold medalist. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so where where does nutrition come into into play with this? Because you are so you're a beast. You're an athlete. So what are ways that you fuel your body and things that you say no to? Well, nutrition for me started out of college or, or in college. Uh, basically, we had a training table that had everything. When I started first came to the pros, I decided that I was going to be a vegetarian or a pescatarian vegetarian basically so i wasn't eating meat so i stopped eating meat um when i turned pro so then the challenge was to make sure that i could get the food i needed on the train table in in the pros so i did i went back and i asked the cooks to have fish for me a lot and pastas and all those type of things which it worked out great so i actually was a, one of the first 
vegetarians or pescatarians ever played football, not ever played, in, in, in our era. Right. Uh, and then it led to me becoming a, a vegetarian at some point for five years where I didn't eat any meat at all. And then I got bored with that and I became a pescatarian. So I, I've always eaten light. Yeah. Uh, I don't eat fats and oils and butters and all those things. I try to eat somewhat uh, light and I eat maybe once or twice a day. I only eat when I'm hungry. I'm like a lion. A lion doesn't kill all day. It just eats when it's hungry. So I think we as humans, we think we have to eat three or four meals a day. We don't really have to. We just eat when we're hungry. I and that's that. what I do, basically. So I want to be eating two meals a day, usually. Two, very rarely do I eat three meals a day. What's your go-to meal? What's your like, favorite thing? Um, I, I, I like, uh, breakfast is one of my favorite meals, even though I haven't eaten in a long time, but I like egg whites, which is, you know, protein, egg whites, and toast, and and veggie bacon, sausage, which is great. That's one of my favorite meals. But also, I fish, and corn, and beans, and peas, and soups, and pastas, and veggie burgers, and Beyond, the Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burgers are some of the greatest things ever invented, which I love, the veggie sausages. Me too. So I love those types of things. And salads, I'd make a great salad with the veggie chicken in it and uh, with uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and uh, raisins and apples and uh, cranberries and grapes. And it's amazing. So I, I sort of mix it up. And sometimes I do, I don't eat meat. I don't eat, uh, like meat. I don't eat fish for a week. And sometimes I eat fish maybe twice a week. Right. So it varies. That's something, I I mean, and I don't want to keep going on this because I could turn this into a food podcast within like 10 seconds because I absolutely love food and we'll get, we'll get completely off topic. I'm sure a lot of people love food just as much as I do. Um, But I love how you did this all before it was really a trend. You, you, you found out what worked for your body to make you uh, an optimal athlete and, and you stuck with it and you're still doing it. That's why you're the yeah. fastest, I'd have to say. We just got to get you to run a marathon. I tell you exactly right. You, 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 go, you want me to run that marathon? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I do. But what I figured out of this was in college. I said, okay, I want to be as light as possible when I'm running. And meat stays in your system sometimes up to six months. Wow. And so I said, wow, if meat is in your system for six months, how can you be light? So I sort of did all the research in college and then out of college, I go, okay, I'm not meeting meat because I want to be light and I want to be fast. And also, I, I realize that I don't really like food that much. I don't really like the process of eating. I don't want to think about what I'm going to eat. When you think about it realistically, we think about what we're going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner most of the day. Yes. And it consumes us with, okay, what am I going to eat? So I just don't really like eating that much. I mean, if I didn't have to eat at all, I would be like, great. I would love not to have to worry about eating. <laughs> But I have to eat to live, so right. I, I just figure it out and do do what I have to do to to live. So, but I don't. I realize I don't really like eating that much because my taste palate is such that I don't really like a lot of things. And some things that I like, I like, but I don't like a lot of things. And so the variations are when you go out, you have to be really picky about how how things are prepared, and people want to put their own spin on. It. I go, no, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want that on. They go, well, no, that's the way the chef does it. I go. Well, I can't eat it. I don't want it. Yeah. I'm, I'm paying for it. Well, just give me what I want. I'm paying for it. I'm paying for it. No, I agree I with that. I want a piece of fish grilled, and that's it. Yep. I, just, I don't want anything. I don't want any sauce. I don't want anything. I just no want it butter. grilled. Yeah, just right, grill no it butter, up. No butter, no anything. So, yeah, exactly. Salt and pepper. So, yeah, that's what I'm learning. I see. I really admire that about you because I again am opposite in that way, and I'm trying to I'm trying to get there because I haven't had meat either in like six months. Um, I've had some fish because I just I don't know it doesn't gross me out as much. Right. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But something that I want to be able to master, and it seems like you have, is to not being consumed, um, no pun intended, with the thought of what my next meal is going to be or what I'm going to prepare in the next hour or so. And when you don't have, when you're not a slave to food, you're able to enjoy other things in life. Absolutely. Like what I do is this, before I'm going to eat probably 10, 15 minutes before I'm going to eat, I I make a thought about what I want and I just do it. I just eat it because it's not, I don't see the thing about people who have choices, they have so many choices. I know I'm not going to McDonald's. I know I'm not going to Wendy's. I know I'm not going to fast food restaurant. I'm not going to eat chicken. Not, so I know I'm not doing all that. So my thought process is not job, jabbed up with so many different things. It's just two or three things I know I'm going to eat. Either it's going to be pasta, it's going to be a salad, it's going to be a veggie burger, it's going to be a veggie sausage, it's going to be breakfast. I got five or six things I know I'm going to do. 
So one of those five, I'll just pick what I want. And based off what I had yesterday, I know I won't have the same thing two days in a row probably. So I'll just say, okay, I'll do that. And it's over in five minutes and cook it and it's done. Woo. So I don't worry about it. Yeah. There's freedom in that. There is. There, there's yeah. a lot of freedom in that mentality. Yes. Um, all right. And you, just, you can just mix things up and not eat. You can eat the same thing, but not the same things every day, but just mix them up, you know, in a whole week's time. And right. it's like, it's done. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, ask you, um, have you ever had, <laughs> this is so off topic, but have you ever had lentil pasta? It is like, I, great. I just had it today, yesterday. Did you? It's a game changer because it's higher in protein, lower in carb than regular pasta. And the only flour that's in it is from the lentils. And it's like so it's refreshing. Amazing. I was, I mean, my yeah, life has been changed. <laughs> All right. I, so bringing I, it back. I had it. What? I had it two nights ago. I had it two nights ago. Put it, put it with some Brussels sprouts and so, a little bit of red sauce, and you're good to I go. Made, I made some home. I made homemade pasta sauce with fresh tomatoes and basil and all that, and it was great. You got to send me your recipe for that. For your absolutely for your red sauce. All right, so kind of bringing yeah. it bringing it back to center. The show's called Write It Down because when you write things down, you can reflect and remember what's gone on in your life. So, what is something over the years that you've written down, or maybe something that you want to share with us um, to write down? Well, the one thing I'd like to share is that I look myself in the mirror every day, and I want to like the person that I see in that reflection. Every day, every morning, every night, I do that. I look at myself in the mirror and I want to make sure that I've done something great today and I will do something great today. So, and I, and I like the person that I see and I got to tell you, I'd like the person I see because I think the person I see is compassionate. The person I see, uh, care about people, care about himself, care about his surroundings and really want to make the world a better place. And, and, and with that, he, he shows that. So I think if everyone can do that, I think we will have a better place, better earth to live on. Write it down. Do you like what you see in the mirror? Willie Galt, thank you for joining us today on Write It Down. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a great day and be safe. You as well. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.